Hello, and welcome to the B-Team Podcast. My name is John Macy. Uh, today we're going to be doing something slightly different. Uh, this is one of our Star Trek Away Mission series, but we have a very different panel today. I am joined by uh, one of our regular contributors, Spencer Cormos. Hello. And joining us for the first time ever, a friend of ours from the convention circuit, Ms. Trisha Brady. Say hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> okay. So, just the short version of this, the three of us know each other from the Mission Log Discord, and uh, since the last time Spencer's been on our air, which would have been Melora, I forget exactly when we did that, it was a good couple months ago now, uh, you and I actually met each other in person at the uh, convention this year. So, yeah, man, that was awesome. Yeah. That was, that was really cool. It was great meeting everybody. I mean, but it's uh, it changes... Meeting meeting people in person always 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 changes things. Even though we do like the Zoom stuff and after dark or whatever else, but still, it's it's. Uh, oh yeah, it, we had it, a, it brings a new context to things. We had a solid crew of twenty at that thing this year, at least. Uh, and Trish, you and I met each other uh, very briefly at the and on the last day of last year's, and then uh, you basically spent an hour or two standing in the hotel lobby with my wife talking about travel shit. Uh, <laughs> outside the gift shop, if I remember correctly. <laughs> we were in the lobby, I think. Yeah, it was started. Yeah. It started outside the gift shop. We just kind of migrated out to the front desk area for an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> and I remember we were kind of interrupted when Tim Russ walked by us because he was leaving. Um, <laughs> but uh, And then we hung out a ton this year as well, and we decided to... Um, come on and have we wanted to have you on as a guest and um, we always let the first time guests pick the subject so uh, we should let people know that we'll be doing Star Trek The Next Generation Season 7 Episode 14 Sub Rosa at your request um, so we won't get into that quite yet I did want to talk a little bit about the the con experience in a certain, for both of you in different ways we're going to kind of leave me out of it because we've done two full shows of me prattling about this shit so we don't necessarily need that again uh spencer i'm curious what you as a first timer found with that you know that uh particularly first time to SPLV, uh first time that i did a first and only other time i did a star trek convention or kind of really any fan convention to be honest um was probably about 20 something years ago um, and I think it was like a year after Generations came out, um, so that was uh, that was that was a it, it was I think it was also the first after the first season of DS Nine. So I, I have to look back and see what exactly what year that is. Um, but I remember meeting Marina Marina Sirtis and Andrew Robinson um, in the line and seeing uh, Avery Brooks just play piano on stage and not talk about anything uh not taking questions and then brett spiner taking a lot of questions about things like night court uh which was really really funny um and and then so i would never have actually thought about going uh to this because i just it never even like occurred to me to do a thing if it wasn't for literally the mission log folks and just everybody kind of getting together and doing the um doing the patreon party um so i was like you know what let me go do it and uh you know this might be the last one who knows so let me just go and hang out and meet folks and 
a great experience. I, uh, I think I, I think I planned things right. Um, I know, John, you had a really miserable experience getting into the hotel. Uh, I, I paid the $25 to check in early, um, arrived relatively early, did the express check in. And, uh, it was that, that was like, all right, let me, let me do this thing. And what's really, really funny is that I remember going to the Rio maybe about three years after it opened and it was still a really kind of interesting and fun hotel. And this was such a different, miserable experience at that hotel. It's not even funny. Um, I'm hoping that their remodernization and investment is going to really make things a lot different. Uh, hopefully their, their, their guest handling processes will be a lot better as well. Um, overall though, the, uh, uh, I, I did the captain's chair level um of ticket i don't know if i would do that again um i did a lot of photo ops this year because i wasn't sure if i'm going to be able to go back i'm not sure if i would do photo ops again um you know it's sort of like i didn't realize that it was so fast of like get in get out like hey thanks goodbye they really um yeah you know uh and uh, i think the table experience is a lot a lot better um, I had better conversations with like Robert Picardo uh, in the vendor room and the signings and stuff like that than I than uh, than I did meeting people in person uh, or doing the photo ops. But um, and I think I missed some panels as well. It was great, kind of like hanging out in the in the Roddenberry room and doing the mission log panels and seeing that stuff uh, instead of trying to hear it afterwards on on the podcast. So that that was actually a bonus as well, and that that's nicer. I think next year. If I, if I do get to go back, I'll probably do general admission instead. Um, you know, even with the captain's chair, you're not that close. So I think the general no. admission stuff is probably good enough um, for a lot that's, of those things. That's the one thing I look, because I did the gold ticket my first two years, which is the highest level one they give you short of that VIP thing. And even that, you're not that close. So I, yeah, you got to be there for like years, right? In order to kind of like graduate up to closer seats. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I think the first time I did it, I was like 12 rows back. And even I was like, I'm still looking at the TV thing in the corner to see anything. It's like, <laughs> why Why would I even do that? Um, I, think, I think the most positive experience for me was that um, seeing, like, even being in the photo op lines. I mean, uh, Trish, you and I kind of had that little bit of shared experience following each other through the photo op line. That was fun. But I don't think I didn't have a conversation in the line with somebody and that was like the coolest thing um i've gone to software conventions for years i'm a software engineer and so i just go to conventions and you're going for the same reason you're all going for whatever language or architecture or platform whatever but people don't talk to each other they're kind of like they're tired and quiet and kind of want to sit down and just have a little bit of peace to themselves instead of trying to overload their brain talking about more technical stuff here, everybody's just interested about talking about whatever it is that they're doing. Oh, we're in line to meet Jonathan Frakes. Let's talk about the time we talked about <laughs> Jonathan Frakes. I was in line to talk about something. And we were talking about like what the state of the hotel was going to be. It was just everybody was so chatty and interested in each other and interested in the con. It was that was I think that for me was probably one of the most positive experiences. That's cool. Uh, and Trish, you're from Cork, Ireland. And I've always been curious how uh, someone from outside of the U.S. and I know that that event is regularly attended by people outside of the U.S. But I've always been curious, like, how did you find out about it, and what 
what drove you to do it. And you've now done it twice, I believe. Yeah, so this year was my second year. Like, I've known about STLV for years. You know, it's sort of always in the sort of Star Trek sort of background fandom awareness thing. Um, and, you know, living in Ireland, we don't have a lot of conventions. We have, like, one that happens twice a year in Dublin. Um, and so, like, I, you know, I'd be looking up, you know, Patrick Stewart, and I'll see, like, you know, people put videos of the conventions and whatever. So I'd sort of seen conventions and stuff. Um, in terms of me going last year, I was actually meant to go in 2020. Um, I had to take a small bit. Yeah, a uh, small bit of like emotional heartbreak background. Um, I got, I separated from my now ex-wife in 2018, went through a really bad time and found Mission Log during that time. And they were talking, I like listened to all their Vegas episodes and I was like, fuck it, I'm single, I've got money, screw it. So like I booked it, I was looking forward to it, then COVID hit, and I was like, damn it. Um, couldn't go 2021 because I wasn't legally allowed in the country still because of COVID. And so last year, 2022, was my first STLV and I was bricking it because like I'd been to America by myself before with work. I've been to Seattle a number of times for work. Um, but, you know, going to a big convention like that by myself, I've been to conventions in the UK, but those are mostly like signing events more so than anything else um and so just a little bit you know felt a little bit anxious and whatever but like i knew norman john obviously from our mission long hangouts i knew a couple of other people from the mission long hangouts and as soon as i got there like so i tend to fly in on the monday night because i need like jet lag recovery time as a necessity if i'm going to survive so i fly in monday night tuesday i usually have to myself so i you know, go do a bit of shopping or like you know, the first year I did the hop on, hop off bus tour, you know, went over to Fremont Street, Fremont Street and stuff like that. Um, and then on the Wednesday, it was going to the pool. And I had this last year and I had it this year. You're at the pool and usually like, I wear a T-shirt because I'm Irish and pale as hell and I'll burn like a lobster. Um, <laughs> so like, I'm wearing a Star Trek T-shirt and someone's like, you're just lounging in the pool and someone's like, hey, you're looking forward to tomorrow or whatever. I met this lovely girl named Kim this year, like my first day at the pool. And we just started chatting in the pool and I kept seeing her throughout the weekend and like we just kept chatting. We're now friends on Facebook. We were talking on WhatsApp. She's actually the one who kind of really inspired me to get the tattoo I got this year it was because she was getting one. And I was like, oh, maybe I will. Um, so like that, like that's all really cool. It's like for me, like coming over from Ireland, it was a little bit like daunting at first. But like you know, to what you're saying, Spence, like once you're there, like you know, my family was very concerned. Like, she's going to Vegas by herself. She's going to be, like, you know, killed or something. <laughs> um, and so, like, I remember, like, the first night there last year, and I did the same thing this year. Like, I took a picture with, like, your mission log people or whatever. I'm like, see, my online friends are real. Um, <laughs> they really exist. I'm fine. <laughs> but, like, you can, like, you're standing in a queue or you're at the pool or you're, like, you know, in the elevator and like someone notices a t-shirt or a lanyard or a hat or something and suddenly you're having a conversation like how's it going how are you enjoying it whatever and you're like oh these are my people do you know and you feel comfortable and safe even if you're by yourself on the other side of the planet you feel comfortable and and you feel you feel safe with the whole thing yeah um, i had 
it's it's funny i had a uh had a funny early experience where i was in the elevator coming down and somebody who's an older gentleman with his wife and he was wearing the white uh very formal uh uh next generation style uh like ceremonial um uniform right but yeah. i saw the admiral and i was just being i was thinking okay i'll just be nice because i'm generally still relatively chivalrous and try to just be nice to people anyway i was going to hold the elevator but i immediately thought and i said i held the elevator i said respect the rank <laughs> and he died laughing you thought it was very very funny so it's i i like i like those little in jokes of just being able to joke uh make comments like that to people it's That's great nice yeah it's cool like i mean i did gold in 2022 because again you know this could have been a once in a lifetime experience go bigger go home um and while i really like i enjoyed it um for gold i had apparently gotten a very good seat for like a you know annual purchase of gold you know rather than a recurring um but the one thing i found with gold was that it puts a lot of pressure on you actually because gold comes with all of these extras. They're the things you've paid for. <laughs> but they're sort of marketed as extras. So you get so many different autographs for free. But most of those autographs aren't just go into the vendor room, walk up and give them your ticket. You have to join this big, long-ass fucking queue. Um, and so I actually found myself feeling really pressured to do all these things and meet all these people that maybe I wouldn't have wanted to originally because it was included in my ticket. So this year I said, screw that. I went captain's chair. I probably wouldn't drop down from that because I do quite like, you know, captain's chair or higher for like the gala and stuff. Um, I'd rather not be further back than that. Um, but I did feel like I had a lot more freedom this time. Like, I still got a rake of autographs and photos. Like, you both know I was in and out of, like... <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, doing, I was doing the loop with you. Like, I think what, the funny funny thing was I was supposed to... I did the uh, engineers, I guess, but mm. Garrett, Garrett uh, Wong is not an engineer. On, Harry Kim's not an engineer, but he was in that, he was in that picture. Mm. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to sign up for this. I'm not going to get this opportunity again. Let me do it. And I signed up for LeVar Burton as well. And he only had two chances. And I was like, this is the line. I showed up 40 minutes early and the line was huge already for LeVar Burton. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it the next signing. And so I stood on the back of the line for the engineers. And by the time I was done with the engineers, LeVar Burton was just finishing. And I just immediately hopped onto that line. <laughs> and it was like this circle, like constant carousel of like... I had the same thing with the ladies of TNG. So like it was... I think it was Gates, then the women of TNG, then Marina, then Denise. And I literally, like, I'd, I'd go to the end of the line and I was like, cool, I'll just go last. Fuck it, I'll just go last. It's easier. So I'd literally run around, come out the other side. I didn't even bother picking up anything. I'd go to the, like, the person at the end of the barrier and be like, who are you queuing for? You're for Marina. Cool. You're Denise. Cool. Jump under, in you go. Like, run back around. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Here we go. We did, we um, I do tend to, yeah. We did that with the Strange New Worlds people last year. Like six of them were there, and they just had all their times in a line. Yeah, um, I do do the vendor room stuff as well. Um, I like collecting autographs. Again, for me, it's a case if I'm going to fly halfway around the world, I want to meet these people, right? Um, and it's really expensive the way I do it because I have the, the terrible FOMO. Because I do the professional photo op, then I do an autograph, and if they're offering selfies at their desk, 
And if like their queues aren't too long, I'll often do a selfie as well because like sometimes the selfie picture at the desk is actually better. Um, now sometimes like the professional photo is better, but like it really is a sort of swings and roundabouts. Um, but yeah, like I thought this year was great. I planned my weekend a lot better. I actually loved in a way that they had like the photo ops on multiple days. So, like, you could sort of have your plan, and then you're like, "Oh, this queue is taking too long. I'll get them tomorrow. <laughs> it's fine." Yeah, the, the one, the one that was like, you, you have to really, really be aware of it because Armin Shimmerman only had one, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, okay, I really." And it was a choice between him and I think it was it was like Lovar Burden or something like that. I was like, I really need to make sure that I get him done. Just you know, because you're lose you lose the opportunity. You don't get that back. Um, yeah. But I had I had such a great like one on one experience with like um, Armin uh, with Andrew Robinson again. I went up to his table. I chatted with him for a little bit. Um, I had my Garrick's uh, Taylor Shop T-shirt that I got off of T Public or something like that, and I forgot I was I had it in my room. I said I gotta come back. It was like the first time that I immediately I knew like it was in that fan mode. It was hilarious because I was like. I can't do that. I can't have brought the shirt and not take the shirt, take a picture with you in the shirt because it would just be crazy. He's like, okay. Like, he was just nice about it. He was like, whatever. And then I came back about a half hour later and I showed him the shirt. He's like, oh my God, that's really, really nice. <laughs> he was pointing at it. We got we got the selfie shirt. I wore a Riker. I don't have the shirt on with me. I can't show it to you, but I had a Riker shirt. They're like car a caricature of like Picard um handing Riker a sewing machine and it says make it so SEW and like Riker's doing the the face palm thing and so I wore that for my uh Jonathan Frakes picture and I showed it to him he's like oh okay like uh, but you know he sees so many of these things I was like yeah you're not gonna really get a reaction yeah like I I had a Picard Riker 2024 t-shirt that I wore and <clears throat> I wore it for my Frakes photo op and I just walked up and he was like oh the best ticket for 2024 you know whatever <laughs> I wore the same t-shirt for um our duo op that myself and, and John did with um Michelle. why did her name yeah um her last name has just left my brain um what the fuck is her last name Michelle Lott Heard. that's the one thank you um with Michelle Heard, and like afterwards I went around to get her autograph and I did the selfie thing as well because Michelle Hurts is just like the loveliest lady ever. Um, and so she stood up and was like, oh, I love your t-shirt because she was wearing a SAG-AFTRA support t-shirt. It's kind of comic book style or whatever. And she's like, yeah. And then she started looking me up and down. She's like, oh my God, I love your t-shirt. Yeah, the only thing I'm voting for in 2024. We need to get everyone wearing these. And you're just like, it's great. Or like, I wore like a pseudo like Beverly outfit, you know, like a, you know, a science t-shirt a black skirt and like the blue like lab coat and Gates was like I love it it's like you know Beverly on vacation nice <laughs> because she's wearing a skirt not slacks <laughs> um I, yeah I did I did the Michelle Hurd selfie as well because there wasn't a huge line for her and um I wasn't I wasn't going to after all the photo ops I was like I really gotta cut I gotta I gotta cut back and just not spend all the money otherwise on selfies or autographs of the, of the photos um, but I was like, you know what? I like Michelle Hurd. She's a New Yorker. Um, and she's got that New York attitude and 
I lifelong New Yorker. And so it's like, I walked up to her. I was like, I'm from New York. Love what you're doing. And we just had a, like a five minute chat about things. And she just gave me like this big hug. And we had like such, it's such a nice picture. And it's, it's one of those things that was like between her and Andrew Robinson, just super, super nice people. And it's, it's great. Uh, that's that's kind of the experiences that I really really enjoy. Oh, I'm not cool. going to go into my unfortunate experience with Brent Spiner, but <laughs> yeah. I I had one of those as well, though my one wasn't his fault. Um, but I would say one thing: if you do want to save money, don't go shopping in the vendor room with Corey Macy. Because <laughs> or me, <laughs> you're like, ooh. There's a Beverly Crusher plate. What am I going to do with a Beverly Crusher plate? I have no need for a Beverly plate. And Corey's just like, Trish, buy the plate. I came home with the plate. <laughs> she never told me that. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my god, okay. She's a massive enabler. See, I thought the enabling thing was only me. Only towards oh, me. No. Like she sent it to other people. <laughs> she did, yeah. Uh, I was like, you're a terrible influence. And she's like, I know. <laughs> yeah. I did have one one of those experiences where like somebody somebody in a photo op commented on what you're wearing, but it was kind of sort of like a Groundhog Day sort of thing, because I did a photo with Anson Mount last year wearing a shirt with his face on it, and uh, I wanted to get another one because he had a mask on in the photo, so I did another one with him this year, hoping he wouldn't do that again, and he didn't, and I rolled up to him in the wheelchair, and he goes, he just kind of looks at me, and he goes, wait a minute, didn't we already do this once? <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I had to do it again because you were that cool." I guess you know. So I did have to do Anson Mount again this year for the exact same reason that you did. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. If he's if he's there next year and I'm there next year, I'm definitely doing a, a selfie. Um, cool. I don't know who I was talking to. I was like, "Who wins the handsome off, Ethan Peck or Anson Mount?" Because they were kind of like two tables apart from each other. And so it was it was very daunting to see them so close in person yeah i would have to coin flip that one i think if i were a woman uh, but uh i am a woman and my vote is christina chong <laughs> well, yeah but yeah but uh okay so shall we get into the episode then yeah should i probably explain why this is like the the thing that we decided we were doing this episode beyond okay, it was the one I wanted to. Guess what inspired them to make the pick. So yes, you just basically did that yeah. for me. So go ahead. No problem. Uh, love doing your job for you, John. Um, so the first, like, the pre-night for the con, it's the Wednesday night, there's like the solo travelers and newbies party um, that happened at the I-Bar. And so... I was there. There's a couple other people there. Spencer, those where I first met you. I was, I was um, there. I saw the. I saw. What, <laughs> I saw what happened. So, there was some people who were helping organize that party from the. Is it Lambda Quadrant? Um, yeah. It was like a, a fan group, and they were like, "Hey!" And they tapped me on the shoulder, like, "Hey, you just won a prize for existing." And I was like, "Oh, great! I love winning prizes for existing. Those are fantastic." Um, and she handed me, she's like, oh, which bag do you want? Do you want, like, this thing, that thing, or a bag of queer stuff? I was like, I'll take the bag of queer stuff. Sure, why not? Thanks very much. So I open this bag, and I take out, there's, like, you know, a pin, and there's some other stuff, and then I nearly lose my shit. Because in there is a, and it's, it is, it is like one of my most prized possessions that I brought back from Vegas. I was terrified it would break in my bag. 
is a 3D printed sort of pride flag version of the Howard family candle. And Spence will tell you, I lost my freaking mind. I was I was like, I've I've only known Trisha now for about 20, 20 minutes. And I was like, she likes this episode, apparently. <laughs> I lost my mind. I think this is the best thing ever. Your one from the Lambda Quantum was like, this is brilliant. And we were talking about it. I think everyone's like, oh, like, oh, this episode. I was like, I love this episode. And people look at me as if I was being like, really, really sort of like, you know, oh, you know, I love, quote unquote, this episode. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I will defend Sabrosa to anybody. And then you and I got talking, John, and I was like, hey, I want to have you on the podcast. I was like, cool. I think it was at the party we were talking about it, yeah. at the Mission Log party. And I was like, cool. In that case, I, I need to do in defense of Sobrosa because I got shit on <laughs> by the lads at the party being like, that episode's crap, what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, and so we agreed at the mission log party. I'd come on. You called Spence over. Spence is like, "Yep." Yeah. Uh, and we would do um, well from my perspective in defense of Sabrosa. From Spence's perspective, probably shitting on Sabrosa. And you said you'd watch it again, and that we would talk about it. <laughs> there are things I actually appreciate. At least it's just not, you know, I don't know. Um, so. Trish, what, and you've never done one of these with us before. Spencer, this will be, I think, the third one of these you've done now? Um, yeah, this will be the third. So we sort of, the way we sort of do this is, like, I'll bring up the, bring up some trivia points. Mostly, for me, it's, like, casting stuff, and there are a couple of Trek regulars in here. Um, and then we'll kind of do, I'll kind of do a run-through of the plot, which we leave lots of room for digressions and, and tangents and whatever. We don't really, do, you know... We don't do it in the same way that your show does it or like Mission Log does it where they'll run through the entire plot and then just go. Like we leave wide open for lots of digressionary stuff. Uh, sometimes we don't even get through the whole plot. We just sort of the digressions kind of win. Um, so there are some, um, a couple of people that were reused in Trek in this episode. Basically the basic premise is that, and hell, maybe... I think the arguments are such that we might as well just, like, one-sentence plot this, because how, how specific do we need to get? Basically, uh, the Enterprise goes to a, an Earth colony planet that is essentially mo modeled on the Scottish Highlands, where Beverly's grandmother lives, and she dies, and the episode opens with her funeral, and you basically find out that she has been haunted by a ghost, her... her most of her life, I guess. They don't really get that specific about it. Since her mother, since Felissa has been in a relationship with Ronan since Felissa's mother died. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Apparently, apparently he's been he's been stalking the Howard women since. Wait for it. Sixteen forty-seven. Yeah. I, picked, I, had, I I had to pick that one up again. I was like, wait, I had, did I miss that? And I rewind. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so that's basically the one, you know, and then uh, Beverly ends up being exposed to this this ghost alien thing, and uh, that is basically where the rest of our plot comes from. Um, and we'll get into the smaller points of that as we go through it. Um, I do want to mention we do have a couple of uh, people from the Trek Repertory Company, as I like to call it, in here. Uh, Michael Keenan plays the, like, colony administrator 
and he would go on to play, uh, was it Patrick in two episodes of Deep Space Nine? He was one of the... Was that him? Yeah, he was one of the group of genetically engineered weirdos that hung out with Bashir a bunch. Yep, I think it was two episodes, because I think they show up twice. Oh, you know, I thought I, I thought I had recognized him. I didn't put that together. Huh. Yep. And there's a bigger one. Hopefully you guys got this one. Uh, the guy who plays the ghost, and I don't want to mangle his last name. Does anybody know how to pronounce that? Duncan Rager? Let me Google it. One second. R-G- R-E-G-E-H-R. My guess is, like, Rager. Yeah, I would go with Rager as well. Okay. He would come back, and I don't know how he got recast for anything because he's so fucking bad here. Uh, he would come back and play Shakar. Right. That is something that when I realized that, like, I think, I, like, I mean, I've been watching Trek since I was like 11 or 12. I think I must have been like in my late 20s when I realized they were the same person. <laughs> I didn't realize it until, because uh, I watched all of, before going to the. 2021 con I was trying to marathon everything and I got you know I got through all of TNG before that and then suddenly I saw him again and I saw his name in the credits I was like wait a minute Shakar played the ghost really uh yeah I had no idea that it was the same guy um and the roles are so different too I don't know how you would come up with that unless you had them in front of you um the actress that plays the actress that plays the the grandmother um, she she's actually pretty famous as well. I mean, just not not from Star Trek, but across the board. She was in Wedding the Wedding Singer. She had a pretty funny moment there. Um, I can't remember where else she was from. But I thought she looked familiar. I couldn't place it though. Yeah, she was in the, the Wedding Singer, Wedding Crashers. Um, but uh, oh, she was also in um. What's with Go, uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg and the, and the singing nuns there? Um, She's in Sister Act. Sister Act. Oh my god, she was. <laughs> <laughs> she she has one of my favorite little bits in that song. Oh yeah, my god, I'm sure that she an oh shit moment um, on, on camera, which is fantastic. I'm glad, glad I could bring that. Um, yeah, you don't realize it until you kind of go back and look look at these episodes. You go, oh, wait, this person's actually very famous across the board and other things. Hmm. Yeah, it always takes a couple years to, like, suddenly, you know, and you never think about it. Like, I remember watching these, watching this when it originally aired, probably in 1993, somewhere in that range. And you never would have thought of that then. I mean, I was also, like, 12, but whatever. Um... So we open on, it's this planet called Kaldos, which is a Federation colony of some sort. And uh, it basically starts with Beverly's grandmother's funeral. Um, and, you know, typical funeral stuff. Guy, ta- I think the, the colony administrator did the service. Um, I need to he- pause you for a second to ask a question. Did any of you notice the weird look on Picard's face for the entire funeral? He um, had this look of of some guy being like, I am dying to go to the bathroom, but I'm also like mind boggled that I'm in Scotland. And like, it's, it's like he had 50 million thoughts going through his head, none of which were, my best friend's grandmother is dead. Mm-hmm. He just, go back and watch it again. Every time they cut, because they cut to Deanna being all sad and whatever. 
And the Picard just has this really weird look on his face the whole time. It's as if Patrick didn't know the camera was on him. <laughs> I've always thought Picard gets a little weird whenever he has to interact with anybody who's not. No, this is true. But, um, not right here. yeah. So we open with the funeral, and then there's this very deliberate thing of like, uh, this younger guy walks by the casket and throws a flower on it. And Beverly's kind of giving him giving him the eye, and she, he kind of does it in return. And she's kind of like, you can tell she's kind of intrigued by this guy, at least. Um, and then we get the open, you know, the regular credit open. And um, then I think we that's then it goes right to the house, right? Like she goes to the grandmother's. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So she invites Deanna back to her house. And actually, the scene in the house with her and Deanna, I actually really like because. Beverly and Deanna don't get a lot of scenes together where they're just clearly two friends supporting each other. Um, and I actually really like how Deanna doesn't like try to psychoanalyze her friend. You know, yeah. she's there for support as needed. And then she realizes that Beverly's upset and kind of wants to be alone, which is Beverly's MO. She likes being by herself. Right. And so Deanna just, you know, takes a moment and you know, says, okay, well, I'm going to go back to... The it's actually a very sweet scene between the two of them that we don't usually get that often. And there was no weird exercise clothing involved. Yeah, I was going to say, usually most of their scenes together are in weird leotards talking about dudes. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then in that same scene, I think, is where the candle is explained, where, like, her family's had this heirloom yeah. candle for a billion years, and the grandmother always had it lit for some reason that we don't, you know, and you think at the, at that time that it's just sentimental or whatever. Um, so yeah, you, like you said, Deanna leaves and then does the, does the Quint guy show up right away at that point? Yeah. So, so, yeah, so we, missed, we actually missed a small scene and, and, um, I'm happy to go back to it, but, uh, sure, go. Yeah, Ned, Ned does show up and, I have a comment about Ned. <laughs> yeah, so Beverly uh, finds her grandmother's journals, and then she goes to go upstairs, at which point Ned arrives. Ned, Ned barges in like he owns a place. And I, I guess because he's been maintaining the house, we find out, for, for years, he feels like that's still part of his domain. Um, but it, it's it, it's such a weird interaction. Uh very, very, very stereotypical Scottish, and I found what was the note I, I said? <clears throat> Certainly playing up the cantankerous Scottish man routine quite a bit. I would um, have said he was doing his best yes. groundskeeper Willie, which went through my head. <laughs> and I didn't really yeah, watch he that is, that much. He is very stereotypical in the sense of what people would consider to be stereotypical Scottish. I will say one thing, the whole like him just swanning in, like not knocking, just fucking walking in whatever. A, he was trying to do it without her noticing because he wanted to steal this fucking candle. Um <laughs> but also like you know Ireland would have a very similar thing of like after a funeral you all go back to the house. If the door's unlocked in you go. It's not quite you know as extreme as what they have on Caldos, obviously. Um so I, I didn't take issue with him coming into the house uninvited, uh, but then I realized he was trying to do like subterfuge, very badly, um, and then there's this all like you know, did they light that candle and whatever, um, but it did, it did actually raise an interesting thing though um, that comes up later, which is that like he said that like he'd been around that house more times in the last five years 
than Beverly had in the last 20. But Beverly has no idea who he is. Yeah. And like it, 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 it sort of shows that Felissa was hiding a lot from Beverly. Yeah, it's not just Ronan. Like, as close as they were supposed to be, it felt like from their their interactions, she was uh, the Felicia. Felicia, I'm gonna say Felicia, and I'm gonna keep correcting myself. It's Felicia uh, was raising Beverly. Like her mom died very young. Like Beverly says that she can barely she remembers her mother, but that's really all she remembers. Um, yeah, so, so it's a sad detail. I, I didn't. Uh, nobody really ever talks about that. Um, the last time her parents were mentioned, to my knowledge, was I don't think they were even mentioned by name, but it was implied that in the season one episode Arsenal of Freedom, her and Picard fall down a hole, and she breaks her leg, and he's trying to be Mister Doctor and follow her instructions, and she's like describing a herbal remedy to keep her leg. From cl- to clot her legs so she doesn't bleed out, whatever. And he's like, how do you know? And she mentions a colony called Arveda 3. And it's implied there was a disaster at Arveda 3. And after that, her grandmother raised her. So I kind of liked the consistency that like seven years later, they're still like, yeah, Beverly's parents died when she was very young. So I kind of liked that they looped back around to that. I love how her dad, though, doesn't get mentioned at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the historical consistency is great because we don't often always get that in Star Trek. But at the same time, it was it was weird that like you're so close to this person yet you're. And I know she's she's has her career and she's traveling all over the galaxy literally. Um, so it's not always going to be easy. And like, of course, you know, Ned Ned's there in in the colony, so of course he's going to be around all the time. But to never be mentioned is really. And it's not like, you know, it was some weird illicit relationship, like, I don't know, a ghost and a candle. Um, but he's the caretaker. And why wouldn't you talk about, like, a friend that comes over and helps out around the house, particularly if you're, like, 90-something years old, you know, sure, well, 100 years in the future and your health is better. I, I have I have comments to say about that later on. But uh, still, she seems like a very important part of her life. The one thing that I would say to that, though, is, like, it could be that Felicia just doesn't want Beverly to worry. The fact that she needed someone to help her upkeep the house. You know, Beverly's off having her career, and Felicia doesn't want her giving that up. Now, never mentioning him at all seems a bit weird, but maybe she just didn't want to mention him in context and have Beverly worried and, you know, wanting to come back. Because then that would also tie in with the Ronan thing of Felicia didn't want her to know about Ronan, so... I think the two things kind of interweave, but it is an interesting thing that like, there's more that Felissa was hiding from Beverly than just the Ronan thing. And then a part of me was also like, you know, they, he says like, oh, more than you've been around the last 20 years, which means that like, basically since she left to go to the Academy, she hasn't really been back to Caldos all that often. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of reminded of like with Picard season three, there was this whole thing of everyone was like, Wesley, call your mother. And now I'm like, Beverly, call your nan for fuck's yeah. sake. Now, now we know where Wesley gets it from. <laughs> uh, so uh, after this, she goes back up to the ship with the grandmother's Wait, so Let's Let's go back because we did miss one scene and I have to bring this up. It really has nothing to do with it. It's actually the B plot, not the A plot. Okay. Um, the there is a scene where uh the governor of the colony asks Picard 
if they can stick around to help them with their weather system because they're having issues. He goes, yeah. in exchange for uh, a home-cooked meal and a tour of the colony. And so Picard goes, you're obviously not Scottish. And I, it, it bothers me to no end because sci-fi is about like, all the aliens are supposed to be us in different ways. And so this is just a different looking person. And Picard's like, okay, I'm going to be casually racist here and point yeah, out your differences. For, for context, right, just for everyone else who maybe has the episode, the guy isn't human, just for context. Of what, <laughs> so just for context of what you were just saying. You're obviously not Scottish. It's like, what difference does it make at this point? Like, it's... it's so I, I don't get how he's obviously not Scottish. Like, surely there are other races living on Earth now. Yeah. Um, so his whole "you're obviously not Scottish" thing, it it didn't rub me the wrong way, but I was like, "Oh, Jean-Luc, you moron! You're obviously not French," is what a lot of people would tell you, dude. <laughs> no way. He has no clue how to deal with people. Uh, anyway, yeah. so that that was that was my little. No, that's an, little. that did kind of bug me too. Yeah, where like, and I did like the fact that he gave this explanation of like, my family took me to see some Scottish castle, and I was like, "Hey, this place is awesome!" And he pretty much smacks down Picard in that moment like all right <laughs> um, well, actually because like, that scene actually raises an interesting question that I hear a lot of people raise it's like oh why would you have a Scotland planet oh they have a Scotland planet it's like well it was a terraforming project first of all so they terraformed this planet to be whatever the fuck they wanted why not a Scotland planet where they have technology, but it's used to control their weather and their day-to-day -day lives are done more mundanely. I've seen a lot of people online crit criticize the planet in this episode, and I'm like, hey, you okay, gotta the, you gotta have the uh, you gotta have good weather for caber tosses. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah. if I could go to a, in all in all fairness, if I could go to a recreation of Ireland where I could control the fucking weather so it's actually sunny in the summer. Dude, sign me up. I'm gone. Uh, I will go there and I'll have the best time ever. Just being in Universal, I could tell you how absolutely crowded the Harry Potter uh, parts of the parks are. So, yeah, uh, it's... <laughs> yeah, like, you know, a Scotland where you can control the weather. I could make a planet that way. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we get this, and I thought this was the most awkward scene in the entire show. Yes. It might it might actually have the most and I hate this term cringe, but it might have the most cringeworthy line of Picard dialogue in the history of ever. When uh they're in the corridor and he's walking Beverly to her quarters and she has the journals in her hand and she's talking to him about the stuff that she's reading about the grandmother dating this guy in his thirties and whatever or, or she has this relationship with this guy in his thirties and he just says something to the effect of well, it just tells you that Howard women have exceptional libidos. And I just wanted to throw something at my television. I was like, ugh! That, that line is hilarious when you think about two things. One, this episode comes only a few episodes after Attached, which is the big Picard Crusher episode of the season where, you know, she finds out that he's in love with her and their feelings are kind of reciprocated but then she chooses not to enter a new relationship with him at the end of it whatever um so this comes shortly after that so like prior to me is like are you hoping that maybe if you give her 10 more years she'll still be like cool it's like that you have time to like you know maybe one day she won't be so afraid to have a relationship and that like you know you still have a chance 
But then also, when you think about the Picard season three, and I, I can imagine, like, now, like, android Picard kind of, like, recalling this memory and being like, yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I have a robot body, and she's a Howard. We are good to go. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I was just so like, oh, come on, Jean-Luc. You know you want to fuck her. Come on. Just... Come yeah, the, the look the look on his face at the end of the scene where he he was like well okay and kind of like walking away it was, it was really really interesting it's I, I have to say like this is a Brandon Braga written Jonathan Frakes directed episode and just felt weird on so many levels coming from them mm-hmm. um, I, I Frakes in general usually directs better episodes even when the material is not you know, the the in, best in in parts, but I don't know. Some of these scenes were really, really, really rough. Um, yeah, we'll get. Sorry, one, John. I almost kind of wonder if, you know, this is tail end of the last season of the show, right? I almost kind of wonder if they had the finale budgeted out so much that they had no money for this. <laughs> Although, in fairness, I. I quite like the set design for this. Yeah. I I, yeah. I quite like the Caldos planet is lovely. Like I think you know, with I mean the script writing for this episode wasn't great and like you know I'll put my hand like I'll defend this episode to my dying day on a number of different levels. The actual dialogue itself and some of the line deliveries you're like oh you could have done with a second take we could have like tweaked that a little bit like I get what you're trying to put across but like oh we could have we could have cleaned that up a bit. But there's scenes that we'll get to later where I've always wondered, like, A, was it really awkward for Gates and Frakes to do that? But also, did Gates feel more comfortable knowing that it was Frakes behind the camera for mm-hmm. some of those later scenes? And it's like, is this weird combination of, is it weird because they're friends, or is it comforting because he's her friend? Right. Do you know? And we'll get to that when we talk about the scenes later on, but I, I was thinking about that as we are going through it. Yeah. So then she goes into recorders and, you know, they cut to some... And this one, too, uh, we've talked about, Spencer, I think in the past ones, we've talked about some of the B-plots in these shows. And I felt like this one was straining so hard to have some kind of B-plot. And it's like, let's fix the weather thing was the whole B-plot. And it's so boring, it's more yeah. of an A point one plot, I think. Do you know? Oh. It was like we need to explain. We need to get the Enterprise to stay, have some big resolution at the end. Okay, but it's slightly in danger. Yeah. So Phyllis is dead. So your man's fucking with the weather. Hmm. <laughs> Do you know? At some thunderstorm, uh, Jonathan yep. Frakes is for a few lines in there. So, yep. So Beverly has some kind of weird like sex dream thing where this guy is talking to her in her head and uh okay so this again so i'm gonna keep interrupting i, I don't mean to but like this is one this is one of those things where this is the beginning where i think me and a lot of people who watch this episode veer off in different directions okay. because you say she has a sex dream thing which she does and that's the way she describes it to diana the following day however there was something in her room. It pulled down her bed covers. 
and it pulled down the top of her nightdress. And this, to me, is where the beginning of the way I've always seen this episode sort of veers away from what a lot of other people say. I'm like, if this happened, you know, in any other episode, right? So, if it, so we have this at the start, and then we have the child, or the rest of the child is what happens to the rest of us. Anyone would call this that she was, you know, psychically or, you know, physicically raped at this point. There was someone touching her without her consent and she has no control over it. And this is, for me, is where I start going down the, oh my God, what are we seeing in this episode? What's going to happen to her? This man can get at, or this being can get at her on the ship, can interact with her physically and mentally. This is fucked up. Yeah, it's a complete violation. I mean, you look at it knowing what's What's really weird is, like, <clears throat> it's supposed to be, like, a, you know, daring episode for, for Star Trek at the time, right? Because they're having... It, I think this is, like, the first time in a long time, and it's been a while since I rewatched TNG, so I don't really know uh, what the dialogues were. Dialogue was generally throughout the seasons, but this was supposed to be a more risque type of thing where, you know, they're talking about their intimacy, you know, DS9, we're always talking about it. You know, that's like the whole thing, right? Dax is like out there and willing to talk about whatever. Even Deanna, for 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 what's going on in, in Next Generation, she's often very liberal and talking about healthy sex life and everything else. But this is plainly a violation. Like, there there's nothing good about this. And it's it's weird in that I think people were okay with it because it's a ghost type of thing back then yeah but this now is where, not so much i think people like, look at this and they're like come on like when people look at it as oh beverly has sex with a ghost i'm like no the ghost has sex with beverly against her will right. well actually okay so actually in this current scene without her ability to consent it's probably a better way of phrasing it she's asleep she's not fucking clue what's happening and so not necessarily against her will but certainly with, without her consent yeah, actually, I never really thought about how this how this compares to any one of a number of episodes where Troy gets quote unquote mind raped and you and it gets called out as such. Um, but here it really doesn't. And I, you know, like you said, Spencer, I'm not sure what the dialogue at that time would have been around that, but they don't. It never really gets called out in that way. Um, in fact, my biggest my biggest hang up with this whole thing and the reason why I don't like it that much is because and Trish feel free to blast me after I say this but um I feel like a lot of this plot requires Beverly to be really fucking stupid because she's fully aware that it's a ghost and at no point does she go like hey uh what the fuck <laughs> Like, but she, but she does, John, and that's the thing. We see it like, so here you know, she wakes up, and you know we'll jump ahead. She's talking to Deanna the following day about this weird sex dream that she had. Um, and again, I love the fact that like I know people say like, oh, the Bechdel test we've been just talking about, but I love the fact that these two friends have a very open, honest conversation around the kinky sex dream that one of them had the night before, and Deanna's like, I'm kind of super jealous. <laughs> I, 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 do have to, I do have to quickly digress that yeah. this should not have been a 10 forward discussion. No, no, uh, Beverly, like, 
you know, None you're the chief. You're the chief medical officer. The other people on the ship don't need to know. Right. But. <laughs> yeah. And and what's really weird? What's weird? And again, about this direction, I don't understand this. Is that she's very calmly and and uh, this this I, this is the thing that like as a former manager, I, I have to bring this up because it was like what this whole scene does not belong in ten forward for a variety of reasons, and you could see it, Beverly is sitting there very casually and calmly at a distance of about six feet. So about maybe a little little under two meters, right? She's like, I had a really erotic dream last night. I was like, is the sound quality just like, do they buffer the table so that people can't hear your conversations? Because that's a pretty thing, pretty good thing that could carry about. But then people are walking by and she's like very, very calm and hushed, like looking over her shoulder and make sure nobody hears her. But I'm like, you're in a bar. For all intents and purposes, you're in a bar. And then they're going through the whole thing, and Deanna's like, should we talk about personnel evaluations? I'm like, you're in 10 forward. What the hell are you talking about personnel evaluations in the middle? Like, hey, by the way, by the way, Jen, I found out you're not getting that promotion because you got a three instead of a four This in this quarter's performance evals. It's like, wait, wait can you do this in your quarters? <laughs> I, mean, I don't think it was performance evaluation. It was personnel evaluations but i'm guessing it was, it's even worse is there medical evaluations because <laughs> oh, like you know beverly's this, uh, this okay i had to sidetrack massively right you were talking about like whatever um ramblings is what i do quite regularly on my podcast so answer me this right from your perspective because right? i have a hang up with something completely unrelated to this episode and now that we're talking about beverly and diana in in their jobs you know talking about personnel whatever Beverly is the chief medical officer. Deanna is the head counselor on the ship. Mm -hmm. Do you think Beverly is Deanna's boss? Uh, Oh, I kind of think in table of organization, maybe that would make sense. But I think because it's because I think Deanna's bridge crew, she just kind of directly. Well, she reports to Will, which is even weirder, right? technically but i think because she's bridge crew she kind of sort of just reports to picard yeah because my weird thing that i have and this is a complete tangent to everything there are three comfortable seats on the bridge of the enterprise you've captain's chair brilliant first officer's chair right hand other chair on his left hand usually deanna's chair right when beverly whenever beverly's on the bridge Beverly's her superior officer. That bitch never gets out of that chair and Beverly has to sit on a stool. <laughs> Deanna, move! <laughs> it is this weird hang-up I've had since I was like 11. But Beverly's not really a bridge officer, right? No, but she is a commander and she does outrank she Deanna. Yeah, she does outrank Deanna, but and she also does run the ship and she has she's full commander, so she's gone yeah. through that training. So she has the right to sit in the captain's chair, which Deanna yeah. wouldn't. Um, yeah. Also, she's the chief medical officer. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's completely separate time. I completely agree with you, though. Um, it's not unique to this episode. They do, you know, the command crew do generally have very inappropriate conversations in 10 Forward. Low I'm guessing, yeah, I'm guessing they decided that they wanted to have Beverly in a relaxed environment. And even though we've already seen her quarters and they could have had this conversation there, 
or Beverly has an office or Deanna has an office that no we'll do it in the big room that we spend a lot of money on and we really need to make the most use out of it <laughs> maybe Whoopi Goldberg wasn't going to walk in on that I don't know yeah. I see this guy walking like past Chris. just nodding yeah. being like I would have done it we, we were talking about Beverly uh, admitting admitting her dreams to Deanna so sorry for yeah. asking about I just I think the thing that that bothers me about this, right, is like she, while she's reading the journal, she think while she's reading the grandmother's journal, she thinks this Ronan guy is actually a person, right? And I feel like there's a way to do this episode where it works way better if she doesn't figure out that he's a ghost until the very end, because <laughs> he figure she yeah. figures it out pretty early. And then it makes her look stupid to be like, hey, this guy is clearly some kind of alien and he's screwing with me, but I don't really bother to, anytime I talk to anybody about him, I'm just going to say he's a guy. Well, yeah, like that, that's actually, that's, that's the thing I was talking back around to again. So, you know, in this scene, she's still convinced that he's a guy, which is fine. I think this scene works, you know, by the location, this scene works as is with, you know, I had a weird dream. Um, it's because I was reading also, mm, I loved my grandmother. I have like a glass cabinet. I live in her house. The house I'm in right now is my grandmother's house. My grandfather built it. If I found like her diary, that shit is going in the bin. <laughs> like I would not read it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to know. But do you know what? Beverly's more open-minded, more power to her. But when we get to it later on, you see that she does question it and she does fight it. And this is why I kind of have to go back to that first scene where she has the sexy dream. She doesn't just have a sexy dream. He's invading her mind. So her yeah. ability to make rational choices is compromised from that very first dream she had in the scene before she spoke to Deanna, which sort of puts an interesting spin on her actions for the rest of the episode. Yep. And actually, that's a good point because now, and Trish, you'll know this if you do more of these over time, we like chronologically we jump all over these fucking things like we try to i try to keep to the plot but the, in in order but we never actually do that <laughs> um so at one point uh to go back to our b plot for or a point five plot or whatever we were calling it uh groundskeeper willie somehow goes up to the enterprise and um he he's he just he's doing something somewhere that's not on the enterprise that's on the weather control station yeah, the weather control station that's a colony that's a colony area i made the same mistake um but he's he's like dicking around with a computer in the weather control station and Jordy and data go there to stop him so they initially pull him off pull him off one of the panels and then in a moment that confused me they just stand there while he goes and messes with more shit. And then that was really badly filmed. It was so bad. <laughs> like he he's telling him no, you have to shut this off or do whatever. And so Data pulls him off the first panel that he goes to, and they start talking to him. And then he just walks over and goes to another panel and starts pulling shit out of a wall. And they just stand there and do nothing while he gets fried by a plasma beam. <laughs> What makes it worse is that so they were going to the weather control station to see what the fuck was happening in the weather control station, whatever. Right. Um, so they're standing looking at this bank of random lights. Um, 
have a conversation. We, the audience, can see, like, Quint's arse is, like, up in the air as he's trying to do something. And then they're like, yeah, like, something's, like, something's fucking with it. Now, it's not Quint who was fucking with it. It was Ronan who was fucking with it. And Quint was trying to turn it off so that Ronan couldn't use it anymore or whatever. Um, which is a bit higgledy-piggledy. But, like, they literally turn around and they're like, oh, look, there's a guy. I'm like, hold on, you're an android. <laughs> you didn't hear him. <laughs> This whole time, Jordy, you have a visor that allows you to see things in multiple like spectrums. When you walked into the fucking room, your visor didn't pick up the dude that was behind the counter. Like <laughs> again, the direction on this occasionally leaves a bit to be desired. <laughs> yep, and I'm still amazed by they stop him initially, and then they just allow him to go walk over to another panel and do more stuff. And then he's, like, on the ground again, and he rips a panel off the wall, and he gets electrocuted by, like, a green plasma thing and dies. And they just, and Data and Jordy are just kind of standing there with their thumbs up their asses, like, uh, I don't know, I guess we should do something now, maybe. Yeah. Uh, quickly, <laughs> Let's call Beverly. Quickly call, down, quickly call down to sickbay, get, get somebody here to maybe resuscitate him. I mean, it's, death at the speed of plot is pretty impressive within Star Trek. It's like... Well, if we need you to die, then we really figured you couldn't be revived. But you know, if you get shocked again, um, then we can get we can get uh, you back into sick bay or something very very quickly. It would have been fine to like Ned. Ned is so badly badly uh, uh, shocked that they have to bring him back up and they revive him, but he's in a coma until the end of the episode. Like it's so weird that he had to die. But I feel like in the mission in the pre mission reports. They they have a note. Ned Quint found everywhere. Don't bother him. Like he's just anywhere he is. He's he has free reign of the colony. We've tried getting him out. He shows up in the bakery. Uh, he's he's messing with the cabers when you know before the caber tosses. It's like he's he's all over the place. Just let him be. And they they they're like oh that's just that's just Ned. Well, like Ned has to die for Beverly to snap out of it later because she knows what happened to Ned. So Ned has to die for Beverly to fully understand the impact later on. How he dies, though, and, like, death at the speed of plot, unfortunately gets a weird excuse with Data, because you can kind of say, like, oh, well, Data being an android, like, he takes his pulse, which, fair enough. But maybe he's, like, scanning him as well. I don't know. Like, you can explain a lot with the fact that Data was the one who declared him dead. You're like, okay, cool. Whatever, Data. Um, but yeah, that scene was so weird. <laughs> and I love the fact that when they're doing the post-death examination, they leave his hat on. <laughs> Actually, you skipped over one of my favorite parts of this episode that isn't related to Beverly, which is the reason why they go to the station is because... Um, so they did this plasma beam to try and stabilize what's happening with the weather patterns or whatever um, in our 8.5 plot. And then, um, because the, the weather's going fucky on Caldos. And so there's a scene in the turbo lift, or no, um, the governor beams up to the Enterprise and he's like, I know I wanted to live in Scotland, but it's not meant to be fucking raining. But <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is a very idyllic Scotland, my love. Um, but then they go onto the bridge and the bridge is covered in fog. Right? And they're talking about how like the bridge you know, the data describes fog. And Picard's like, So fog, right? I can see that. 
thanks. Um, but then they talk about the gravity is being fucked up on this part of the ship and whatever. Um, but then, like, he's like, Data, go down to the weather control station and find out what the fuck is happening. And he's like, meanwhile, I'm going to go get my coat. <laughs> it's, it's so brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. The fact that the Quint guy dies is kind of what gets her out of it because she confronts the ghost after that and it's like why did you you know how did he die why did this happen and he's ba- doesn't he basically say something like he was trying to stop us from being together or whatever so I had to kill him yeah we skipped actually we skipped the the actual ghost con- the initial ghost conversation we skipped that so okay. Beverly and Quint had another interaction at her mother's grave at her, at her grandmother's grave so they're going to be on call just for a while so clearly Beverly's like going to hang out in her grandmother's house for a couple of days, which is fine, and Jean-Luc seems perfectly happy with that, like, you know, take the time, whatever. Um, grieve. That's fine. So she goes to visit her grandmother's grave with, like, what looked like, you know, some, like, wildflowers and stuff, which is very, very sweet. Um, yeah. And she talks to Quint, and Quint does the same thing, where he tries to convince her to destroy the candle, blah, 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 blah. And she is like, dude, what the fuck? Like, what are you on about? <laughs> He's saying the house is haunted, and she's like, dude, come on, like, what are you talking about? But then he leaves, there's a flash of lightning, and there's camellias all over the grave. The grave had just been a mound of dirt, because Felissa was buried like two days before. And so there's camellias all over, and she gets kind of freaked out, and she goes back to the house. And it's back in the house that Ronan sort of starts talking to her. But like she's there going, what the fuck is happening to me? What is this? But then and he keeps sort of like and touching her. All and over the house too. There's camellias all over the house. It's like yeah. some weird like, it is the most fucked up thing ever. And like, and this is why I was saying to you earlier on, but like people, like, oh, it requires Beverly to be stupid. She's not stupid. She's questioning this whole thing, being like, what the hell is happening? I'm gonna call the Enterprise. I was like, I'm gonna call the Enterprise. There's gonna be ten security officers down here in five minutes. I'm like, yeah, because Jean Luc will do anything for you. He'll send all of the security officers down to get you. Be fine. Um, but then he starts he starts touching her the way he had in her dream. So again, there's this this being touching her without her consent, and clearly fucking with her mind because she keeps getting lost in it and then coming back out and challenging it and being like, "No, this isn't real. Ghosts aren't real. What's happening to me?" And eventually, she gives herself over to it because he overpowers her. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So that later on, after Quint. Oh, yeah, and then the following day, she's talking to Diana up in the ship. And Diana's like, you, you had sex. You had sex. Who are you having sex with? <laughs> what did I miss? Oh, my God. So she walks in with her exercise clothes because, of course. Yes, At least yes. it's her Klingon exercise clothes this time, not yeah. her weird leotard. Um, but then she goes, and uh, I want you to fill in the blank. Beverly, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you... <laughs> And I was like, got laid. Uh, <laughs> you are you are in love or something like that. She she yeah. finishes it in the most very like platonic way. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. out of all yeah. this episode, we're, we're you know. But again, we see an interesting interaction here because now we're on to Beverly is hiding something, but not really, but kind of, sort of. Yeah. Deanna's picking up on something, and Deanna makes the what I call the speed. Um, reference to traumatic experiences that are shared by people can lead to the feeling of love that isn't maybe actually there 
and she's warning Beverly to be careful. But again, I think for me, one of the things with this episode is like, it's like Deanna has a very thin line of how much she can psychoanalyze her friends and how much she can just be a good friend. So here she did a little bit of both. You know, she gave her her professional advice, which is please take this slow and be careful. Um, but also, you seem happy, and I'm happy for you. Do you know? Which again is like it's, this is really sweet, kind of weird scene between yeah. the two of them. Um, I actually, I actually, I I, I want to reference this scene later on, um, hmm. but this is this is a good reference. I've yeah. Gone. Um, so yeah, so then there's the Quint thing where he um, he dies and then Beverly goes back to the house and then there's the full-on interaction where she sees Ronan in physical form and like at one point he's like sat in the chair and like she's like on her knees like she cannot stand to not have physical contact with him and I'm like, oh Beverly, you poor sweetheart. You are so like caught up in this do you know he has so much control over her that if he touches her when he goes to take his hand away she's just chasing his hand with her face and I'm like you know Corey was mentioning earlier that it requires her to be stupid like, that's not stupid that's control that's addiction to whatever it is he's making her feel and like she has very little control over it because after that that's when we have what I think is like possibly actually her lowest moment of the episode because he's like oh they're trying to keep us apart i had to kill quint because he was trying to keep us apart but like we'll be together forever and all this you know mind control catfishy you know gaslighting bullshit um and then he's like you know you need to light the candle you know and she's like the candle's on the ship he's like i can go to the ship i can go up the plasma whatever and so she goes back to the ship and she's in her room, on her bed, knees drawn up, rocking back and forth, just being like, where are you? I lit the candle, where are you? And I'm just like, oh my god, her mind is so messed up. But that isn't her, that's addiction and withdrawal from this guy who's just taking complete control of her. And like, it, it is like the lowest moment I think we ever see Beverly have, in the, at least in the... TNG in the movies. You know, Picard season three is a slightly different thing, but like it isn't TNG in the movies. It is like Beverly's lowest moment where like she's nearly pulling her hair out, just sort of begging this guy to appear because she needs that contact with him. And I'm just like, oh sweetheart. <laughs> like hmm. poor you. <laughs> you have gotten me to change my viewpoint of this whole thing, I think. Uh, <laughs> so in There's... defense of Sobrosa, <laughs> I told you. So, yeah. she, there, there's, there's an interesting thing. We can kind of gloss over some of the other bits because I think they're a little bit more, less, more or less inconsequential. I do have some funny comments I want to make after we kind of talk about some of the more consequential stuff. Um, but the, I mean, they, they finally, she finally gets rid of him through Picard's help and this is where I wanted to reference back the scene between Troy and Beverly I wish actually it was Deanna that saved her because I think it would have been better I think Deanna would have been in a better position to say we've talked about the relationship 
we I've kind of sensed that things were while I'm happy for you I don't believe that this is actually really that healthy for you Picard and the whole thing you said with attached and and like the whole history of of their kind of like on, on and off again pseudo friendship romance I think he comes in as the knight in shining armor when I think it probably would have played way 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 better if Deanna was the one who was able to save her um, I don't I don't mind it being Picard because again it's the thing of like you know she's pushing him away and like, you know she leaves the ship and he's like what the fuck are you doing yeah and I don't he, mind it yeah but like but again it's the fact that like you know she thinks she loves Ronan we the audience know she loves Jean-Luc so the idea that he could have killed Jean-Luc this guy convinced her to do all manner of crap she quit her job she was going to live in Caldas forever he tried to kill the man she loves fuck off I think it would have played just as well with Deanna in that role. Completely agree. And I think it would have been a very... I think a lot of people may have hated it less if it was Deanna. Because, you know, it, it's less knight in shining armor. Although, I would argue that in many ways, Beverly saves herself. Do you know? Like, you know, we talked about the fact that, like, she's been fighting this off and on the entire time. Right. And then Jean-Luc is like, I'll be fine. She runs off to the cemetery. She confronts him. She destroys the candle. She shoots him twice. Like, she does that herself. It could have been very easy to have Data wake up not being affected by the energy and Data shoots him or Data shoots the candle. It, but they true. have Beverly do it herself. She does save herself, but, but it is Picard that pushes it pushes the confrontation to a head, right? Yeah. So he's the one who actually yeah. forces the situation. And that's, the, and I actually liked Patrick Stewart in that scene. I thought that mm -hmm. was actually probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie because he's like, okay, where are you from? Like, he's just constantly, he knows he has to egg the situation on almost to get Beverly to recognize what's going on or to get something to come out of this. Mm -hmm. Um. But it still feels very knight in shining armor thing, yeah. playing that trope. And I think, like you said, I think Beverly. And and I to your to your point, if it's not, if it is Deanna laying on the floor, maybe she doesn't have that awakening moment of like, oh my god, you know, this is one of my closest friends ever, you know, over the mm. over the decades. Um, Deanna's yeah. a close friend, but it's just still not the same type of thing. Yeah, I think the romantic love kind of bounces a bit easier. But you could say the same thing about, you know, friendship. Like, she loves Deanna as well, just in a different way. Um, I don't really kind of want to read the fanfic where it's Deanna who comes and tries and talks her out of it. I really want to see that now. Only because Deanna also has this thing of, like, Deanna turns up and is like, hey, the captain told me you quit. And I love that the two of them talk about it later on. And Deanna is still, because Deanna hasn't met Ronan, but Deanna's still like, she's entitled to make her own decisions. Yep. I know you as her friend and her captain and you know her would-be lover at some point in time worry about her but she is a grown lady and she's entitled to make her own opinions however I am also concerned with the opinion she has made but let's not forget the fact she's entitled to make it um, but like Deanna turns up at the house and is like you know Jean-Luc said you quit what the hell is happening and Beverly's like I just want to be left alone Deanna and she's like Okay, but can I meet him? At least I've heard so much about him. 
And then he comes down and, you know, you have Deanna being like, I sense nothing yeah. from you. And that then that scene becomes a whole different situation where it's not the, you know, the the best male friend who would like, I mean, my best friend is a guy and if something, well, one of my best friends is a guy, my friend that could kill me from not including her, one of my best friends is a guy and like, if I was seeing someone and my attitude completely changed, he would go full night in shining armor and be like, what the fuck is happening? Um, so like, I can see like my friend Patty doing that. Um, but with Deanna it would have been very different because you also have like Deanna's quite short you've got this like intimidation thing it becomes a whole different scene that I do kind of now want to see or <laughs> read <laughs> if someone out there wants to write that fanfic write it send it to John and John will send it to me <laughs> yeah I I am curious I mean I didn't even think about that until I saw it and saw the interaction between uh Deanna and and Deanna doesn't get a lot of meaty roles like that, so this would have been a really nice way to kind of, like, validate her character on the show as well. Um, yeah. It would have also removed... And this is me doubling back to what we were saying earlier on about Frakes being the director. This would have removed the one scene that I... Like, in all of this... Like, I can forgive a lot of it, and I can, you know, hand wave a lot of it. Um, the... I can even hand wave Jean-Luc's comments in the corridor because I love the fact that even after Attach, the two of them have a really, they're having a a really friendly conversation, interaction. They're taking the mickey out of each other a little bit and it's really fun. I can hand wave that away. He looks at her through the window and from his point of view, she's having a very lovely moment on her own. <laughs> and he just looks through the window. That being that being Deanna is very different because Deanna looks through the window, kind of gives a smirk, and then gets a concerned look on her face because, again, she's sensing things that Jean-Luc wouldn't have. Oh, yeah. So I it would have restructured that creepy scene you, in this uh, like, creepy way. <laughs> you played that a lot more diplomatically than my wife did when we were watching it. And she was just like, wait, Picard's going to walk in on her masturbating? Really? That is the way I usually describe it. That's <laughs> Uh, sexy, sexy time with Beverly. Yeah, but that—that's the scene, though. Like everyone, sort of like even like I went on to like the memory alpha page for for this episode, and that's the one picture everyone has of this scene is Beverly in her very lovely nightie. I would just like to say, leaning back in the chair, her leg up in front of the fire, and the green mist descending. Right, and that's what everyone thinks of, and that's where everyone's like, Beverly fucks a ghost. I'm like, no, a ghost rapes Beverly. <laughs> Like, she cannot give consent anymore. Like, her mind is fucked. Yeah. Um, and so that's the scene that, like, it's creepy for Picard, like, in a million different reasons. But it's also the scene where I'm like, Frakes being the director, either that made that scene very awkward or very comforting. Because Johnny's her friend. And so she can act out that scene, which essentially looks like her just masturbating on her own in front of a fire, whatever. Um, masturbating on her own is kind of the definition of masturbating, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, but like, had that been, I mean, some of the other, you know, if that had been a different director, you know, like, you know, we know that this time, like, you know, throughout Star Trek, you know, the 80s and 90s, 
there was a lot of misogyny in writers and directors and producers and whatever. But knowing it's Johnny behind the camera, did that make that better or worse? I like to think better that like she had that knowledge that, you know, this won't be awkward and uncomfortable because Johnny filming it. Next it's actually a good question to ask. ask that. What's that? Next time, next time she goes to a STLV and has a panel, you ask her that. That's exactly I what actually, I was going to say. I was going to say it's a good question for Frakes and uh, Gates. Yeah, I actually, it was on my list of like questions to ask this time around. I had separate questions for Gates in terms of Picard season three, but I was like, oh, if I get if I go up to Frakes again, I did want to ask about that because I, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, because of the strike, I just didn't want to broach the topic. I was like, I'll leave yeah. well enough alone. But it is now on my list because, like, because I went to the TNG reunion panel. We didn't mention that when we we're talking about our our summary at the con. But I went to the TNG reunion panel on the Friday night, as you did, John. Yep. And like, they all kind of described that like they love when Frakes directs. Do you know, like. Everybody He's their friend. Does. Everybody Discovery loves him. Does. Everyone does. Everyone loves him behind the camera because he yeah. brings a different comfort level and energy to the show. I mean, yeah. you watch Ready Room and they're always talking about that stuff. Yeah. The, the only thing that I think would be weird with asking that at a con is because so many people know it as the sex ghost episode. I wouldn't want to ask the question and then both think I'm taking the piss. Do you know, it's a genuine question I have yeah. of did that make you feel more comfortable or did it actually make you feel slightly embarrassed because he's your friend? I, I would actually add, preface it with, listen, Sabrosa is actually a really interesting and deep episode for me because I don't see it as one of permission. I see it one as violation. And I'm yeah. curious how you thought about that. So like two questions, like, do you did you see it that way when you filmed the episode? And two were you comfortable with that scene toward the end and then say, you know, did it make it easier or more difficult with Frakes behind the camera? Like, you know, I yeah. think putting those all together really puts it in context for them. And they always take multi questions like that. And yeah. I, and I, I, I'm curious now, now I want to go to STLV next year. One of us needs to ask that question. <laughs> we'll have to, we have to talk at that. Like we ask the question if any one of the three of us isn't there, the other ones have to film it so that we have the answer, like, you know, concrete or whatever. I actually, I actually have a follow-up uh, comment about just the, the, the whole end and kind of, like, moral of this episode where they left it. Um, I, don't, I don't know if anybody else has anything. Not really. So... No, I think, I think we've covered most of my stuff on it, so what was your... Beverly, Beverly says right at the end. Like, the, literally the last line of the episode is, whatever else he might have done, he made her, his her grandmother, very happy. Now, immediately when I see things like this, I think of this side of paradise. The original series episode with the spores, they land on the planet, they get infected, and immediately they don't want to do anything. They're, they're taken care of, they're healthy, they're, they're happy, they don't need to produce into society they're just part of this collective of like warm fuzzy feelings for the rest of their life felicia um uh felicia lived to be a hundred and whatever right i mean early hundreds obviously she was healthy uh there was no 
diminished returns around uh, psychic energy ghost, whatever we want to call it, invading her body and kind of like feeding off of her. It might have been an enhancement for all we know. It's funny, Ned, this is something I think we lost, and I'm wondering if it was cut from, a, from the script or if there was a deleted scene or something. Ned literally says earlier on, that candle has brought nothing but bad luck to her life. And they never talk about it again. And now, like, the way you're framing this, uh, Trish, you're saying, you know, you brought it in a way that, because I don't think I've watched it in decades. Like, it's, I think this is one of those episodes that I would constantly, like, skip over. So I never really looked at it in a way, again, like, through fresher, older eyes. Um, fresher, older, that's kind of funny. But uh, more recently seeing it with older eyes to kind of get that point. You know, you immediately say that. I was like, of course. Like, the way he, Ronan is kind of like just invading her mind, making her more comfortable with this, and then overpowering her when she starts to really say no, 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 no. Like, what did her, what did her grandmother go through? Was she so what? easily taken over by that? We never, ever, ever know. And what's really funny or sad, funny in a, not in a haha way, funny in a weird way, is that she never communicated to Beverly about Ned, about Ronan, about most of her life. How do we know? Like, I mean, she's reading her diary, but that's her diary after Ronan's been in her kind of like subconscious for decades now. And it's like, I, I, I can't square that anymore. It's like that almost glosses over the entire episode at the end. It's like, well, she was happy. It's like, okay, I trapped you it, in my basement prison and fed you everything you ever wanted to eat and never told you about the outside world. Does that make you happy? But I still kept you locked up. It's an interesting thing you raised because it, it is a, I do question what they were thinking at the end because clearly in a very public space, Deanne and Beverly are having a pseudo counseling session. Maybe it's just a friendship chat, maybe it's a counseling session, but it's a little bit of both. And she describes that. And my thing of it is that I was looking back over it. And, you know, the only person who raised any concern about Ronan whatsoever was Ned. Ned, who never gets mentioned by Phyllis and I letters, right? And my read of it is that there's two sides of it. One, I think Felicia's was much more gradual and possibly actually more consensual. Beverly was leaving. They were only meant to be there for like a day and then she was going to leave. Yeah. Ronan did not have a lot of time true. to get her on board with all of this shit, which is why, like, if you think about it, it only happens over the course of like one, two, three, like four days. This whole episode is four days. And that's why... Sorry, I had to laugh at that just... <laughs> but, like... <laughs> but, like, that's... Like, that to me is why, like, you know, the Beverly thing is so extreme. It's like, how did no one... All these people who loved Felissa, how did none of them notice that she was this weird, you know, obsessive lady about a guy none of them ever knew? I imagine hers was more gradual than Beverly's. Like she wasn't out exploring the stars. She was either on Caldos already or on Arveda 3 for however long and then moved to Caldos. Um, 
whereas Beverly was leaving. And the way I sort of see it is that, like, Ned clearly wasn't around when Beverly was younger because she would have remembered him. So Ned came on the scene, we'll say maybe five to ten years ago. Right? So he says five years, maybe five to ten. He's helping out with odd jobs, whatever. And he starts noticing that she never talks about what she does in the evening. She never talks about this. She never talks about that. And most people have gotten so used to her. Like, oh no, Felissa just likes to you know, keep to herself or whatever. Um, but Ned sees all the things that she's missing out on. All the things that like, she doesn't go to the town hall meetings and people say that she rarely ever did, but now she definitely doesn't go anymore. Do you know? But because he's around the house more often, Ronan is acting up more often to try to get him to fuck off. It's like, I wonder if it's sort of like this self-fulfilling prophecy in the way because Ned was around more, more weird shit was happening because Ronan was trying to get him to go away. Yeah. Whereas everyone else on Caldas was used to Felissa and the way she lived her life and they had absolutely no issue with her. They were fine. So yeah, like, in terms of... It's actually yeah. interesting the way the way you frame that because, you know, she, if it is like five, ten years ago, like, and maybe she's retiring to Caldos or something like that, right? Um, and she's finally living there or she's been kind of left alone, but now she's at a point where she needs some more help around the house and that's where Ned steps in and, you know, helping out the grand lady, uh, as, as he calls her. Um, sorry to butcher the Scottish accent. Um, but that's that's interesting that 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 timeline kind of accelerates things in a way where it's like you know you know she always she was always part of the community and now suddenly it's I, now that I notice this this candle it's now brought her bad luck. But how long does he doesn't really know how long he she's had that candle? Apparently yeah, and it could be that like, like seventy years. Like she's older, you know. More stuff is going wrong around the house. She needs help cleaning the chimneys. She needs help with this, that, and the other thing, which is why she brought him on board. But now that he's in the house, he's seeing all these things going wrong and asking, oh, why didn't you do this? And she's like, oh, no, I, I don't want you doing that. And he's seeing all this as bad luck, that all these things are breaking or whatever. That could just be natural stuff, but because of the way she's acting in her personal space, he's like, this is fucking weird. What the hell? Do you know what I mean? Um, but in terms of Beverly's last line, in terms of Beverly's last line, I I do struggle with it a bit. And the only way I can really accept it is by the idea that Phyllis's involvement with Ronan was over a much more prolonged period of time and much more gradual. Is like, Beverly's been through hell. She finds out that her grandmother went through this as well. She reads her grandmother's journals. And other than Ned, no one else on Caldos had said anything bad about her so from all the information Beverly has all the other people she's spoken to and reading the journals which again are her innermost thoughts or whatever her grandmother had a happy life do you know and she sort of takes comfort in that and you know maybe it's her being a bit stupid but like if you found out that like someone was taking advantage of an elderly relative for years and you find out because that person tries doing it to you and you're like oh my god this is so fucked up and then you look back and you read through i think the only way beverly can really come to terms with it is just to accept what she has read that her grandmother was happy because i think the other alternative would break her to be honest yeah do you know that's 
Like if she thought that if she thought Alyssa went through what she went through, I think she would have broken. Right, and and I think I think that's kind of like, you know, there's I think there's a big, you know, even though all this went down, at least there was that, and she was happy, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, but still, uh, it, yeah. it's. It's an interesting it's an interesting line to finish off with though for sure. Yeah. Well, this was a great discussion, guys. I I think I view this one a little differently than I did yesterday. <laughs> um so it might uh, not be one that I will rewatch for another several years, but uh I I liked I liked having this conversation um and running through it. Um Yeah. Oh come on, Spence! You don't want to cosplay Ronan if we go back to Vegas. <laughs> okay, to go no. like super like to get away from the serious part for one second, just go back to like the campiness of this episode. I do oh, love I, the Caldos planet. I love it. I have three <laughs> three very interesting, funny things that I I spotted during this episode. One, uh, Beverly comes back after meeting quote unquote Ronan for the first time or seeing the candle, whatever it is. And she's wearing very Victorian bed dresses. Suddenly, I was like, "This is very marmy." Um, I think Beverly has always been like that, though. Beverly sleeps with ribbons in her hair, and we've yeah, seen but, in previous episodes she wears really long housecoats and really long nightdresses. I think she's always done that. Right, but then when she's having private sexy time, she's in that silk lingerie outfit, and I was like, "What is going on?" Well, you know, if I, you know. Sure. I wear certain pajamas to bed when I'm on my own. I wear different pajamas to bed if I'm with someone. That's that's true. I I, I thought it was interesting, like that that kind of like, um, that that the the comparison there of the different scenes of what she's wearing. Um, the other thing that I saw, uh, two very bizarre things, and this is probably because of, uh, lack of CGI or good CGI for the time, but they beam the casket above the ground and somehow there's now dirt underneath to hold the dirt above it that was originally holding the casket or where the casket was. So like there's a void, so the casket should just sink into the dirt, but doesn't. Very, very weird. Um, and then the go back and look, the final scene where uh, Ronan is standing in the cemetery, he's flanked by two tombstones one says vader the other says mcfly oh. <laughs> what vader and mcfly darth vader marty mcfly they they are there <laughs> they are there look at it it's I, I can't remember the exact timing on the scene i could probably quickly find it one wonders um, if that's because if, it's an in joke for well sure. how did you, how, what method did you use to view these Oh my god, and you know what? I'm looking at the very beginning of the episode, and it's there in the beginning, even when Picard and the governor are walking through the cemetery. Uh, at 4.22, if you're watching Paramount+, Plus, and then at 4.37, um, it says it says McFly. I can't read the, the stuff underneath it, but the other one says Vader 23.9 something, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I've looked this up a couple of times. People have spotted this for years, and this is the first yeah, time. Yeah, no, it, it, I just checked on Memory Alpha. As in jokes, the gravestones in the graveyard bore the names of various movie characters, including McFly from Back to the Future and Vader from Star Wars. 
I have okay. I have seen I have seen this episode I don't know how many times I've never picked up on that. I'm gonna go back and double check that in a second. I've never well, picked I, up on I, all I, the times I watched this episode. I was wondering if I was gonna give them the excuse of like, is that because of the Blu-ray remasters? Would those not have been visible back in nineteen ninety whatever? It's possible. I mean I'm watching it on Paramount Plus, which is remastered, so um well, the Memory Alpha is quoting it from Star Trek Next Generation Companion book. So it was in a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like That's... I would say like, you know, like in terms of this episode, like I mean, going back to Vegas, right? My reaction when I pulled this little tiny 3D printed candle thing out of that bag and lost my absolute mind because I would like to point out and obviously your listeners can't see this, but I did also go over to the Lambda Friendship table and they sell in action figure format, the candle in like a blister pack type thing. <laughs> yeah, they actually, so in, in Trek Talks uh, to support uh, Hollywood Food Coalition this year, earlier this year, they did have a segment with Lambda Quadrant. They showed that off. Yeah, I so I did buy it. one of those. Um, and like my thing with this episode is that like, I get defensive of it when people just call it the ghost sex episode because I'm like, okay, it, there's so much more in the episode than that. However, did like 15 year old me pick up on all of that nuance? No, I picked up on some of it, but not all of it. Did I pick up on the cool kind of like Withering Heights sort of semi-gothic Scotland romance thing? And 15 year old me was like completely here for it. Hence why I lost my mind over the 3D prop. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Do you know? Did I want a nightdress like Beverly's one? Yes, I did. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I don't know. Like, hopefully, like I mean, I noticed like as we've talked, your guys' sort of like you know immediate responses have sort of changed to being maybe a bit more sympathetic to Beverly. But like, John, still like one of the worst episodes ever, or or what? So. I actually noticed this, like, I, I really, every single episode now, and I, and I do credit the Mission Log folks for this, because I, I am trying to take more of a critical eye a lot of these things, just out of interest, because it's like, I've seen a lot of these episodes so many times that it's now rote, so it's like, in order for me to really enjoy it without listening to it in the background, if I'm going to pay attention, I kind of want to look at these things. Um, which is why I was actually shocked when you said Picard had this weird face because I tried to pay attention to the background and I didn't, so I have to go back and look at it. But I did realize that like earlier on, I was like, this actually is much more creepy than I remember it just being like, you know, the sex ghost thing. And I was like, eh, this is going to be an interesting conversation, I think. So I did pick up on that, and it was literally only today that I rewatched it. But um, it's still... I don't think it's the worst episode of TNG. Um, I never actually thought it was the worst episode of TNG. Um, but it's still not... I would have to go back. I, I think I need to do a ranking of all the episodes to see where I would have put this. And then if it would have went up above, like, something else. Uh, liaisons is still really irritating for me in several ways. I think this one is probably better than Liaisons for Season 7 in particular. As far um, as... Yeah. As far as worst episode for me, nothing beats Code of Honor. 
Oh, well, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I think, I think that that's what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> that doesn't even count anymore. You don't even get to count that with anything. No, this one improves in my book to a degree. I don't know to what extent I'll give it that, but I mean, I, based on the conversation we've just had, I think I do view it a little differently now. Um, so I'm curious how the rest of the the B team guys are gonna are gonna react to this because I did notice like in the in the Star Trek chat here or on Discord, um, the guys like you're talking about what? <laughs> Why? Well, because he uh, Boris thought we were doing the musical uh, from Strange New World. And he's like, "Why are we going out of order? Because we've only gone as far as uh, because we're waiting for Milos to be available to do the Strange New Worlds ones. We've only gone as far as uh, under the uh, among the Lotus Eaters, I think. So then he saw the title and thought we were doing the musical, and he was like, "Why are we going out of order?" I said, "No, it's the one where Beverly fucks a ghost." And then he went, oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, so I do think this was a good discussion, though. I'm glad we did this one. Cause I, I am, too. I really am. Recontextualization of this one is is not a bad thing. Um, as Definitely far not as... deserving of the four-point-something rating on uh, on IMDb. No, and Joe, Joe, it's interesting. I went to ChatGPT the other day, and... I was like, why is Sub Rosa from Star Trek Next Generation a good episode? And ChatGPT went off about how everyone thinks it's a terrible episode. And I had to rephrase the question again. I'm like, but why would people think it's a good episode? And I'm like, the fact that even the AI is like, oh no, everyone thinks this is shit. I'm like, okay, that wasn't the question I asked. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's only stupid engine. what it can, right? I mean, based on yeah. what it's given... And I, I think it's 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 that effect of like, um, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like the reason the reason that the top 10 episodes uh, the top 10 YouTube or most most watched viewed YouTube shows are the top 10 is because they're the top 10. And so yeah. people go and they go, oh, what's what's in the top 10? And so they go and look at the top 10. So it just bolsters the fact that it's the top 10. And I think people now are kind of influenced by the fact that you know sub Rosa is just this you know creepy creepy ghost episode and so they're just like this is a terrible episode uh with beverly in it and all the episodes of beverly are terrible anyway um or whatever additional things that they want to throw into it um so it's it, it it doesn't serve well off its reputation but i think a lot of things are mostly served off of um, this episode is mostly served off of its reputation does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I'd agree with you. I'm of the belief there are multiple episodes in this season that are worse than this one. I mean... Oh, yeah. <laughs> look on Spencer's face. I'm like, oh, yeah. Go on, Spence. Read them off. Or John, read them off. <laughs> I mean, I think I threw out three earlier. Uh, uh, Dark Page, Genesis, and uh, Masks are all worse than this. I don't know. I have a soft spot for masks only because Brent Spiner does an amazing job in that episode. That is true. He does. Um, he plays like 10 characters or something in that episode. It's it, it's something to behold, just his ability to switch and yeah. play that so well. You spent he gets to throughout. act with his favorite person himself. <laughs> you you, uh, you uh, threw out liaisons, which I definitely think is worse. Um, I think 
Bloodlines is pretty terrible. Um, the one where Picard thinks that he's found his son. Again. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's horrendous. So, uh, was there anything else we wanted to mention? I guess as far as uh, news, Trek-related news goes, I mean, I guess that Star Trek Day event is this week. Um, does anybody care, though? Because it sounds like it's all, you know, it sounds like it's all stuff that was pre-taped before the strikes hit, and it sounds like they're intentionally just going to focus on animation stuff, because that can actually have stuff being worked on right now. Um I'd be of the belief that the the thing you could do to make this thing to make this thing a big deal in the community would be this is where you announce where Prodigy's going. Yes. Yeah. That's the like, Star Trek Day and that type of thing. No offense, but like I don't often pay much attention to them. A, I think they're very American focused for the most part. Um but also they often contain like trailers and spoilers and announcement. I don't watch trailers i don't like spoilers so i tend to avoid things like that like even like d23 or any of those things i tend to avoid them like the only thing that like spoiler related that i was like super excited for was that prodigy season two preview that we saw in vegas yeah, there was a because at one of the, that was amazing at one of the there was a prodigy panel at vegas where they did show it was probably about three or four minutes of yeah. uh, what I have to assume would be the first episode of season two, if and when. I, I assume we will see it. I mean, the the two creators were like, we can't say where it's going, but we're 98% certain it's going to end up somewhere. Uh, and that most of the episodes are finished at this point, and they're just, they probably will have it all done by the end of the year. Um, so I would assume we will see it somewhere. Uh, I'm still kind of surprised. I'm still kind of surprised that Paramount kind of hasn't uncancelled it yet because of, of a need for content because of the strikes and stuff. Yeah. That's just me. The Hageman, the Hageman brothers were like massive celebrities at the masquerade bar one night at the convention. It was insane. Like yeah. some woman was like clawing at me, like pounding on my shoulder, take my picture with them. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for standing here. Apologize. Let me take your picture. At first, they were lovely though. Like their whole thing, they did, like like they they had a whole costume contest, like a cosplay contest at their panel. They brought prizes. They brought a trophy for the person who came first. Yep. Yeah. The person who came first, they they came as Dal with like the full thing. It was it was brilliant. Was amazing. And of course, Heather from Heather from uh, Mission Log Group. You know, she came third as Murph, which was great. Yep. Um, but those guys seem like they're so cool. And like I really just want Prodigy to continue. So that's probably like the only thing that I'd probably pay close attention to. Anything else it's probably spoilers, so I probably won't pay attention to it anyway. Do you know, I, I never would I wouldn't have before and I, I wouldn't now. I'll end up watching it, but if half of it's like anniversary year shit for the original seventies animated series, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not gonna bother with that. So uh, thank you guys for joining me again. Uh, Trish, thank you for making your first appearance. Hopefully we'll have more of these down the road. Um, you do have your own podcast that I'm, I'd like to give you some space to talk about here. So feel free. Cool. Yeah. So me and my buddy, Patty, um, we do a Doctor Who podcast where we, with permission, stole part of the format of Mission Log. <laughs> so we recap the episode and we do a trivia spot. 
Norman John said we could steal it. It's fine. Um, so yeah, so we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. We've done all of Bill Hartnell, all of Patrick Trout, and all of John Pertwee. We have literally just finished Tom Baker. His uh, um, regeneration story is dropping next week. And yeah, um, two friends talking about Doctor Who, talking about, like, we don't do morals, meanings, and messages, but we do talk about the characters, you know, what are the characters like, how do the characters hold up, and stuff like that. And yeah, so you can check us out. Uh, the podcast is called Time Traveling Team. I will explain two things in that. One, I'm Irish, so I spell traveling with two L's, which could have been part of your problem, John. Um, and the other thing is the team part, so T-E-A-M-P. So T E A M P, all one word. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Teamp. The reason why it's time traveling Teamp is T E A M capital P, is because my co-host name is Patty and my full name is Patricia. So we're actually Patrick and Patricia. Though we don't, he goes by Patty and I go by Trish. And so, way back when we first became friends, I'm just going to tell you the story because it's funny. We were playing Star Wars Battlefront Two on the PlayStation Two Galactic Conquest mode, and we needed a name for our save file. And we were like, why don't we just do Team? Because, like, Team Patty and Trisha, or whatever. And that has been our name for ourselves ever since. So, that for like the last 15 years, oh, that's, <laughs> that's what love, we've called I love ourselves. Little things like that, like little background things. Like, well, what else are we going to do? I don't know, Team. Yeah. Like, yeah. Your name's sure. Patty and my name's Patricia. It's kind of weird. <laughs> so. Okay. So I will, I'm just going to stop the recording thing here. We can keep talking if we want to, but I'm just going to shut that off. Okay.